The Bible reads, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This morning we're focusing on verse 1 where David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So this morning, let's deal with the subject together of he shepherds me. He shepherds me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being reminded once again of your faithfulness. Great, great, great is your faithfulness. For as the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Moses was faithful in all of his house as a servant, but you are faithful in the eternities as the son. You are faithful. And we thank you, Lord, that we didn't even think about whether we would get oxygen this morning, but you were faithful to give it to us. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. So, Lord, the least we can do is give you some praise. The least we can do is give you some attention, give you some honor, give you some glory. And so, God, thank you for church uh, where we can gather uh, at least once a week to focus on you, to be encouraged in your presence, to go out and make a difference for you. So bless this word as you bless this house. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. We praise you in advance for what you're going to teach us about yourself. For we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. When I was about nine, ten years old, I started playing organized baseball. And I played for a traveling team called the Liberty Road Roadrunners. And so we would travel around the state of Maryland playing other teams. And I was a bat catcher at the time. I was a catcher. In Baltimore, one of our favorite players was Rick Dempsey, and he was a catcher. And so I liked being behind the plate and catching for the pitcher and throwing down the second base and all that kind of stuff. And that's really how my knees got messed up to give me this Fred Sanford wiggle that I got every now and then. Because for bending all these years from Little League all the way through high school, the cartilage in my knees wore out, and now your boy is bone on bone. You know, football didn't do that to me. Baseball did it to me, but I digress back to when I was nine years old. And, and at the end of the season, we had an awards banquet. And you know how the awards banquets are. The coaches get up and they heap accolades on the players. Now, when I was growing up, there were pretty much only two awards that were given out. Uh, most valuable player and the unsung or the uh, honorable mention. Nowadays, everybody gets an award. Whether you sat on the bench and caught splinters or you were in the field and couldn't catch a ball, you still get an award to help your little self-esteem out. That's the world in which we live in today. But when I was growing up, no, there were two trophies. One was even bigger than the other one. And everybody came thinking that they would get the big one the MVP. Now, I just knew that trophy was mine at the awards banquet that we probably had at some uh, Denny's or something. I don't even know where we had that thing. And so you're sitting there and the coach is going over the player and he is uh, intentional not to say the name of the player. And he's talking about how well the player plays and how good of a teammate the player is and, and the stats of the player. And so I'm just sitting there as a nine-year-old, ten-year-old. I, I know He's talking about me. 
And then he comes all the way down to the end and he gives the name. And when he gives the name, I'm about to stand up and lo and behold, it's somebody else. That was the MVP. And I had to realize that the coach wasn't talking about me. He was talking about someone else. Well, as we begin this new series this morning about Psalm 23, a fresh look at Psalm 23, I just stopped by to let you know up front before we get going that Psalm 23, the Lord is not talking about you. I said the Lord is not talking about you in Psalm 23 because I know we like to read scripture and use the devotional method and we think it's all about us. But technically Psalm 23 is not about you, it's about the MVP, Jesus Christ. We are honorable mention, yet, yet we're in the psalm, but Psalm 23 is not about us. So for our fresh look at this psalm for the next several weeks, we're going to be in it. I want us to get that old way of looking at it, and that is seeing ourselves and how it is about us in this psalm. But no, I want us to put on the Eastern lenses, as Christy would tell us, and let's put on contextual lenses and spiritual lenses to look at this passage and realize that this passage is talking about the Lord who is the shepherd, and the sheep just happen to be beneficiaries of all that the shepherd is. It's not about you, it's not about me. And that's part of our problem and the reason why we struggle so much is that we think life is about us. But it's not about us. Life is about God and his glory and we are just beneficiaries of the fact that he is the star, he is the MVP and he has by his grace included us in his redemptive story. But it's not about us. It's about him and I believe that the more we can see him and the less we see ourselves, the better we'll see life. The more we can see him, the less we'll see our circumstances and our problems and see them as having more authority, if it were possible, over him. So Lord, give us a fresh look at this psalm by seeing that it's all about you and not about us. And if there was anyone who understood that, it was King David. King David, who himself was an MVP. For Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. He was a man after God's own heart. He would become Israel's greatest king. So if there was anyone who understood what it was like where people would wait on you and serve you and cater to you, it was King David. But King David, who authors this psalm under the inspiration and superintending of the Holy Spirit, he has enough sense to know that although he is the king of Israel, he recognizes that he is also a sheep of the God of Israel. That although he is the MVP in the eyes of man, he humbles himself and he puts Christ on the throne as the MVP and that he's glad just to be mentioned in the same passage. So David, who is the king, writes this psalm about a shepherd because David, before he became king, was a shepherd. And so he understood the life of shepherding because that is what he was. And it was the shepherding that introduced him to being a giant killer, which led him into being the king of which he was anointed to be in his own living room by Jesse. I mean, by uh, Samuel, the priest. And so David, he was once a shepherd. So when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's speaking about it from a first-hand personal experience of having been a shepherd himself. And because he was a shepherd, he knew the tendencies of sheep. He knew that sheep are timid. Sheep are helpless. They are stubborn. And they are stupid. <laughs> he knew that because he worked with sheep. And so, Lord, help us, as many of us didn't grow up around sheep. Some of us grew up around horses, and some of us grew up around cows, and some of us grew up around dogs. I had a dog. It was a neighborhood dog. We would give it chicken bones and scraps, and he would come by and get the chicken bones. He'd let us pet him as long as we gave him some chicken bones, and then he was off. 
But I did not grow up being around sheep, so I don't really understand the culture. So I've got to read some extra curricular, extra biblical items so I can understand the history around what it means to be a shepherd. Because sheep are timid, they are helpless, they are stubborn, and they are stupid. David also knew the tendency of shepherds because he was one. And shepherds are people who take care of sheep. Shepherds take care of sheep by feeding them, by leading them, by uh, restoring them, by dining them, by accompanying them, by blessing them. And we'll see that in this psalm as we go in the weeks ahead. But as I mentioned, the focus of Psalm 23, as we'll see, is on the shepherd and not on the sheep. You are going to be blessed and even surprised when you look at how much work a shepherd does. When you think about a shepherd, you're going to see how much work a shepherd does. And the sheep, once again, we are beneficiaries of the work of the shepherd. And so the question is, who is the shepherd? David says, the Lord is my shepherd. So who is the Lord in Psalm 23? If the Lord is the shepherd, who is the Lord? Well, the Lord in Psalm 23 is none other than Jehovah himself. Now stay with me. I'm going to break a few things down. The Lord in Psalm 23 is Jehovah and he is the shepherd. Well, in my Bible and in the King James Version and other versions, you will see that the Lord is spelled in our English translations with all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It is not spelled capital L, small O, small R, small D. That is Adonai. But it's spelled here in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord's name is spelled with all capitals. And that is the translator's way of letting you know that that is a different name for God. Not Adonai, but this is Yahweh. Yahweh. And, and in Hebrew, when you see those four letters, it is called a tetragram. Four letters, Y-H-W-H. -H. And when the Bible was translated from the Hebrew into the Greek, uh, the Greek Septuagint was uh, used the term that was translated into English as Jehovah, Jehovah. Yahweh is Jehovah. Yahweh is derived from the verb to be. So God's name, where does it come from? It comes from a verb meaning to be. It means that God exists. So God in his nature exists. God is not dead. Yahweh exists, and he exists as the eternal, absolute, and uncaused one. So when we think about God, that he is, his name derives from the verb to be. It means that there never was a time when he was not, because he is the uncaused one who causes everything else. He has no beginning, even though, as we'll see, he calls himself the beginning. These are just human terms for us to try to get our limited sheep-like brains around the awesomeness of God. So he will use constructs and concepts that humans can try to relate to to try to understand the God who is inexhaustible, eternal, absolute, and uncaused. He always has been. He is the eternal existing God. He is both all powerful and all good. I got to see the movie Batman versus Superman and Lex Luthor was uh, arguing with the heroes saying that there's no way that God can be both all powerful and all good because he felt that they were contradictory aspects. But the God we serve not only is all powerful, but thank God, he is all good. So we see this uh, concept of I am or the, the verb to be in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, after the Israelites had been in slavery for 400 years. 
They cried out to God for deliverance, and God sent a deliverer to them to deliver them in his name. And so the Bible says, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So here they are in Egypt, and they're around all of these false gods. There's a God for the Nile, a God for the sun, a God for the moon, a God for the day, a God for the night, all of this stuff. And so they're around all of that, and they have been cut off from the land of promise. They're on their way to the land of promise, and they will get the covenants, and they will get the word. But until then, they have been surviving, as most slaves do, on oral tradition, on who God is and how he called the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're surviving on these stories, and so now they're ready to get out, and Moses says, I know my people, they're going to ask me in light of the pantheon of all of the gods, small g, that Egypt has, they're going to ask me, what is the name of the God that has the audacity to free the people out of the bondage of Egypt? And so God says, yes, let me tell you what my name is. When they ask, what is my name? Here's what you will say. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, this you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am that I am. I will be what I will be. I am God, the self-existing, eternal, absolute, uncaused one. There is no God like Jehovah. There is no one on the same plane of Jehovah. God is God all by himself. So the name Jehovah combines the three tenses of the Hebrew verb to be. So the Hebrew verb to be has three tenses, past, present, and future. So when you break down Yahweh and Jehovah, Yehi, it means he will be. And that speaks of the future, what he will be in the future. Hov speaks of being, which means the present. That he is with you right now in the present. And then Haya, it means that he was the past. Yehi, he will be the future hove being present. Haya, he was and that is the past. You put them together, Yehovah, Jehovah, Yahweh is the God who exists in the future, the present, and the past. So there's never been a time where our God does not exist. And so he wanted Moses to know a limited creature who was bound by time and space that God came down to relate to him by saying that I'm the God of the past, the future, and the present. Yahweh, Yehovah. And so when I look at this, I'm like, yeah, I celebrate that he's the God who's with me right now. Because we'll see that when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't need to fear because he is with me. Thank you for your presence right now. You won't leave me. You won't forsake me. I thank you for where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to see the glory of God, the future. You know the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. You can write revelation down as if it is a fact that has already happened because in your mind, oh God, it has already occurred. That's why you can speak to me in the past tense and say that I'm already glorified even though I haven't been glorified just yet. You can say these things because you're already out there in the future. So not only are you with me right now, you're already out there in the future going ahead of me, preparing a place for me. But you're also the God who was, the God of the past. Now, why do I need to know that you're the God of the past? Because when I didn't know you, you knew me. <laughs> when I wasn't thinking about you back then, you were thinking about me. When I came out of my mother's womb and I had no idea who you were, you knew me, you ordained me, and you had a plan for my life back then, back in was, when I didn't even know you. So when I get discouraged in my present, and I'm wondering, can I make it in the future? I just need to look back and see my was, and you were with me back then, so you're with me right now, and you'll be with me in the future. I am the God who was, who is, and who is to come. So Moses, you go under that understanding, that authority, because God's authority, his nature, his character is always found in his name. 
That's why he has so many names because it's hard to try to bottle him up into one name and you can't do it. The highest heavens can't even contain him. That's why you've got to have some combinations with Jehovah like Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who prevails in battle. You've got to have a combination like Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. You've got to have a combination like Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord, my righteousness. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. You've got to have some combinations. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Oh, he's just so large. He's so huge. You've got to have some names with his name like Jehovah Roha, the Lord, my shepherd. You want to know who I am? You better check my names out. That's why in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus could say, I am. There it is. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Oh, my. So who is the Lord in Psalm 23? The Lord in Psalm 23 is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. Now, Jesus comes along and he makes claims that only Yahweh can make. Because in the Old Testament, Yahweh says he is the first and the last. And then in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and he says he is the first and the last. Well, how can you have two firsts and two last unless those first and last are one, even though they're not the same? So the Father is Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. The Spirit is Yahweh. These three are one. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God who manifests himself in three co-equal persons. It is a mystery. You will not figure it out. Besides, I don't want a God that I can figure out. Because if I can figure him out, then that means I'm God. No, no, no. There's just something. And that's why when we get to heaven, we need all eternity to worship him and get to know him and eternity never ends because our knowledge of God will never end because you cannot put a capstone on who he is. Soon as you think you got him, boom, he'll show you some more glory to let you know you ain't got me figured out yet, bro. And that's heaven. So shame on us when we think that walking with God is boring. Oh, no, no, no. Boring, being bored with God is a sin. No, 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 no. So the Lord in Psalm 23 is not only Jehovah, the Lord in Psalm 23 is Jesus. Jesus is called the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5, 4. Now this is an agrarian culture, so they understand shepherding. They are a nomadic people. So Jesus is called the chief shepherd. He is called the great shepherd in Hebrews 13, 20. And in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus calls himself, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, thank you, Lord Jesus, gives his life for the sheep. Now, this ain't about the sheep. It's about the good shepherd. I just happen to benefit from the fact that the shepherd loves himself some sheep. Thank you, Lord, for loving me as I am, where I am, and to make me more like you through your sacrifice. But it ain't about the sheep. It is about the shepherd. So Jesus, when he said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, he was equating himself with the I am of Psalm 23, and he's in Exodus chapter 3, and his audience knew exactly what he was talking about. When Jesus was walking the earth and he would see hurting people, it would break his heart. And he would say, I see the people on the hills, they are, they are harassed and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And so he came to shepherd the people and to bring us back to God. And he even says in John chapter 10, yes, he came for the lost sheep of Israel. But he says in John chapter 10, as he's talking to a Jewish audience, he says to them, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. Well, well who's the other sheep? That's non-Jewish people, Gentiles, that, that, that he's going to bring, the Bible says, and there's going to be one sheepfold and one shepherd, and that is the Lord. He's always about bringing different kinds of people together around him and through his blood. So he told the Jews, yes, I came for the lost sheep. But I got some other sheep that y'all probably don't want up in here. But guess what? This ain't about the sheep. 
It's about the will of the shepherd. And I love all the sheep, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you are male or female, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are American or whether you are from another nation. It does not matter. This shepherd, thank God, he loves his sheep. Can I have the church? Can, can the church say bye real quick for me? Bye. Just give me a bye. Give me a bye. Because if you don't want to admit that you're a sheep, then you might get it twisted and think that you are the shepherd. Because if you think you're the shepherd of your life, and the shepherd is the one that controls and leads and guides and feeds and provides and protects and takes care, if you think you're doing all that for you, then we need to be praying for you for real. Because you're going to meet a hard end. But when you can acknowledge that I am not the shepherd. I am not the overseer. I am not the pastor. Because that's what a shepherd is. The shepherd is a pastor. David was saying that Jesus is my pastor. Oh, When you admit that, I am not that. But I need to be led. I need to be taken care of. Oh, you're in the right place. Because that's what the shepherd came for. So just a couple of things before I take my seat about this shepherd who shepherds us. Jesus is the good shepherd. First thing is he knows his sheep. John chapter 10, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. So he's saying we got a relationship. We know each other. We have an intimate relationship with each other. And the reason why you sheep can even know me is because I came after you, you could not and would not have come after me. But I sought you out, and when I sought you out, I paid a price to own you. And any shepherd you talk to, a shepherd has to buy, has to purchase the sheep. Unless they get the sheep through an inheritance, they have to go and buy the sheep. And Jesus says, I purchased you, not with gold and silver and corruptible things, but Peter would say, we were purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why we acknowledge the blood. We thank God for the blood, because had it not been for the blood of the shepherd, we would not be in this blessed position today. But more on that later. And when he knows the sheep, here's what shepherds would do in the first century. To distinguish their sheep from other sheep. Every shepherd had a mark that he or she put on the sheep. Because you do know that not only were there shepherds, there were shepherdesses in the Bible. Silent up in here. Yeah, there, there were women shepherds in the Bible. And women took care of sheep. Men took care of sheep. Children took care of sheep. When David was out there taking care of the sheep, he was a young man. Nobody wanted that shepherding job because it was hard work. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd because, man, you smelled like sheep. It's like working in a fish market and you come home, whoo, boy, you stink because you work around fish all day. When you work around sheep, you smell like dung. Your feet got dung on them all. You got wool all over you. Woo, nobody wanted that job. But thank God that Jesus said, Father, I'll take that job. And I'll shepherd them broken, dilapidated, nasty, funky, carnal people. I'll come get dirty so I can make them clean. I'll walk in their crap so I can lead them into paths of righteousness for your name's sake. It's about the shepherd. <laughs> oh, my God. And when you look at all that he does for us, man, if you can't worship him, if you can't obey him, if you can't serve him, if you can't thank him, this is not about me. This is about him. And when he would get those sheep, he would put his mark on them. What was the mark, Pastor. Well, to distinguish this group from that group, the shepherd would take his buck knife, would take his knife, he probably had a knife on his side, would take the knife and cut the ear, cut a mark in the ear of the sheep. So, and like today, you'll see cattle and they'll have a tag in their ear and they may have a green tag or a yellow tag. That's to show whose cattle it is. Well, in the old days, they would put a mark, initials, something, a, a, a family crest sign in the ear with a knife. It would hurt the sheep, but it would also hurt the shepherd when he had to shed that blood to put that sign on him. And so the Lord has put a sign on us, and, and it's a costly sign that cost him, and it's the sign of the cross. The sign of the cross is on the sheep. That's the 
sign that is on us. And it cost him everything. He shed his blood. It hurt him to mark us that way, which is why he tells us now you pick up your cross, your sign, your symbol, and you follow me. Pick your cross up. That, that's what distinguishes you from everybody else. It is the cross that you carry, and it's done for me and because of me. Oh, he knows his sheep. He paid for them. He put his mark on them. And then he calls his sheep by name. John chapter 10, verse 3. Sheep, like dogs, have the intelligence to know their names. Now, I don't like cats. Do cats know their names? People call a cat, here, kitty. Every cat is called kitty. I don't know if cats respond to it, but dogs respond to a name. And I didn't know until I started researching this that sheep can respond to a personal name. So since the shepherd spends so much time with the sheep, he gives them names like Mary. Mary. You know, when he said her name, that's when she turned around at the garden tomb. It's because she knew his voice. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come on up out of there, he heard his voice. He responded to the voice of the shepherd, and he came up out of there. He called Peter. He said, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. He knew his sheep's name. And a matter of fact, with Peter, he even gave him a nickname because when he first met him, his name was Simon. Then he said, man, I'm going to call you Cephas, translated Petros, which means rock. Simon, fragment. I'm going to change it from a fragment to a rock because when I look at you, I see Rocky. Dun, dun, dun. What's the Rocky music? Give me the Rocky horns. How it go? Dun, 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 dun. I don't know what it is. But when Jesus looked at Peter, he saw a fighter in the making. Because Jesus knows that's with himself. Your name reveals your character. So when God gives you a name, it reveals your character. And you may say, this is not what I feel like. But God says, that's what you will be. You will be a rock. Yes, you will. And so he gives us names. Oh, he calls us son. He calls us daughter. Oh, because he, he, he gives us names. What name do you like it when he calls you? He'll call you Blessed. He'll call you highly favored. He'll call you forgiven. He'll call you beloved. He'll, he'll just give you these names, victorious. Because when I hear him speak my name, it just soothes my spirit. Because the devil is lying at me and he's trying to cuss me and curse me with all other kinds of names of condemnation and guilt. But I've got to remember whose I am and how he declares me and what he speaks over me. Because not only does he call me by my name, he also rejoices over me with singing. Oh, I got to know his voice because there are a lot of voices out here. And they lie to you all the time. You aren't nothing. You ain't going to be nothing. Never have been nothing. God ain't going to forgive you. You can't redo what was done in the past. You'll never make it. You failed. You're a failure. All this stuff that comes down on you. But that's when you need to have. Back in the days, when, when somebody would call our house, this was before caller ID. Somebody call your house. And back then, you had to discern voices. And you pick up that phone that usually had that rotary. And you pick that thing up and had a cord on the end of it. You could choke a kid with that cord. And so, not that I got choked by one, but I got hit with one. And so you pick up the phone and somebody's on the other end and they start talking and they say, I'm your father or your mother. And you say, no, you're playing a game because my father or my mother doesn't sound like this. Today you got caller ID and you can see who's calling you. Oh, I'm not even going to answer that. But back in the day, you had to answer that thing and you would discern who was on the other line, whether it was a stranger or somebody you knew by their voice. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. When I call them, when I speak over them, they know my voice. They're not going to follow a stranger. They're not going to follow a liar. So the devil lies all the time about us and he lies at us. He plants thoughts in our mind. So we've got to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient unto Jesus Christ and say, my Lord would never talk to me like that. He would never call me that. So I know that's coming from the pit of hell. So I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus and I go back to what does he call me? My sheep know my voice. And then he leads them out. 
He leads them out, John 10, 3, to new places and new pastures. No shepherd can keep the sheep in one place because they're going to eat up all the grass. So he's got to lead them to other pastures to find new grass. There are new adventures as they walk through the countryside. And when he leads his sheep, he leads them from the front. Because as a sheep is going, it's eaten while it's walking. Its head is down and it's grazing. And so as it's walking, it is able to follow the shepherd because as the shepherd talks, as the shepherd sings, the the, the Lamb, the sheep don't have to have their eyes per se on the shepherd. They have their ears on the shepherd and they're walking while they're eating and they're listening and they're following him. But then sometimes the shepherd will leave from being in the middle of the pack, which is why Peter said, shepherd the flock of God among you to the elders. Be with the people and lead them and stay in step with them. And then sometimes the shepherd would lead from the rear of the sheep. Because he has led them so well that they know we're going forward. He can come around to the back and lead them from the back. Which is why the prophet Isaiah said, when you hear a voice from behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. That's the voice of the Lord. So sometimes God will lead you up front. He'll lead you in the pack. Sometimes he'll lead you from behind. But just know, he's going to lead you. Again, back in the day before we had GPS. You had somebody in the car that knew where something was. Now, many fights can go down between husband and wife. You're riding around the same place, and you see that same man standing on the same corner by the same gas station, and the husband's like, I know which way I'm going, I know, but baby, we done passed this. We've been, been around. Hold on, baby, hold on. And then World War VIII happens in the car. But back in the day, though, you didn't go to GPS and let GPS talk to you. You have somebody riding shotgun or even somebody in the back telling you, no, dog, what you want to do is make a left up there. I I went that way. I meant to go this way, make a left. (laughs) And when the Lord is riding with you, or should I say you're riding with him, sometime he'll take the wheel and he leading you where he wants you to go and all you are is a passenger along for a glorious ride. Then other times he put enough in you to grab the wheel yourself and learn how to drive, but he ain't going to leave you. He's still sitting in the car. He riding shotgun because he's among you and with you. And he's going to say, no, nah, Chris, you're going the wrong way. I need you to make a right up here because if you make a right, you won't do wrong. Uh, and then sometimes if you're not sitting over here, he riding in the back seat, you know, and chilling in the back seat. No, this is what you want to do. You want to go up here and hang a left. You want to make a U-turn. He's giving out orders from the back. He's giving from the side. Sometimes he'll take the wheel, but he's a shepherd that won't let you drive alone. Thank you, Jesus. I ain't got to clean my car up before he get in it. He'll get in it just the way that it is. And then he is the door of the sheep. John 10, 7. That means he'll protect you from something getting in to the sheepfold. When we were in Israel, the first, second time I went, I went with Christy. First time I went with another minister, then I went with Christy. And I remember going to a sheep area, and they told me to lay out over where the sheep would huddle. And when I laid out, they said, this is how the pastors, the shepherds, would protect their sheep from anything getting into the sheepfold because the, the, the shepherd was the door and he was just laying there. So anything that had tried to get into the sheep had to first come through the shepherd. So they told me, lay on down there. Maybe I'll bring a picture next week where I'm doing that over there, man, in the Holy Land. I'm just sitting there. But not only are, is the shepherd there to protect anything from coming in, he's there to keep the sheep from going out. Oh, you missed what I just said. Because every now and then some sheep, because they're so stubborn and stupid, try to start creeping when they should be sleeping. Oh, I ain't got time. I ain't got time. So the Lord is there to keep you in. But every now and then, we get so stubborn as sheep that we're going to step over the shepherd anyway and do what we want to do and go where we want to go. Then get in some trouble, and then it's bad. Here come the shepherd running, leaving the 99 to come after your behind or my behind. What a great shepherd we have. I remember back in high school, I didn't ask my wife for permission to share this, so the fellas uh, pray for me as I share it, but all the fellas talked about how they were having sex and 
I wasn't having sex. I was a virgin in high school. And so I didn't know at the time a lot of the guys were lying about having sex. But I wanted to have sex. And I remember, man, that was my mission. I, these girls I would try to take out, my goal was to have sex with them. And I remember one time, now I was a Christian, barely. I was saved. I had fire insurance, but I wasn't growing. But I could still hear the voice of the Lord. And there was this girl's house I was trying to get over to. And the Lord kept blocking it. He kept blocking it. He kept blocking it, if you know what I mean. He blocked it, blocked it. And I knew God was blocking it. But like a dumb sheep, I still stepped over every barricade that God put up. So I went over to that girl's house. God blocked it at the girl's house. I won't even tell you how he blocked it at the girl's house. Her father came home. That's how he blocked it at the girl's house. That can mess your whole groove up when the father comes home. So then, having been controlled by lust, I walk all the way from Baltimore County into Baltimore City to be with this girl. Father comes home, puts the brakes on it, and now I come to my senses, and I got to walk myself all the way back home, and it's late. And I had to walk through some gang-infested territories. So while I'm walking, bro, man, is trying to walk under the lights as much as I can walk under the lights. But then I saw some dudes out on the street, and they got out of this car, walked up to me, and I was still in the city side of Baltimore. And they walked up to me, one of them had a chain, and, and they're walking up to me, I'm like, oh, this is it. And guess who want to pray now? I want to pray with that Father in heaven. I wasn't praying when I was trying to get out the house over the shepherd to get down there to try to get with this girl. But now, ah, help me, Lord. So God is so good. Because I didn't get beat down that night and robbed. But what did happen, one of the dudes that was in the gang, I knew him from school. And so I recognized him and I called his name out. I called his name, like his name was Jesus. I called his name out. And because I knew him, they let me go. And I said to God, I promise, I ain't going to do that no more. <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> Has God ever had to rescue some of y'all time and time and time and time again? He ever rescue you from buying that car? You just had to have that car. Lord said, no, don't buy that car. And he had to rescue you. It broke down as you was test driving it. God, he rescues you. Oh, man, but we're stupid sheep. So not only does he protect the sheep, but, man, he gives his life for the sheep, John 10, 11. That's self-explanatory. He, he lays down his life. But here's what I need to tell you about shepherds. Shepherds are brave and shepherds can fight. That's what I need to tell you. They're brave. They are not afraid of animals. They are not afraid of coyotes. They're not afraid of wolves. They're not afraid of bears. And they're not even afraid of lions. So to be a shepherd, yeah, it was a dirty job, but you had to be brave because not only did you have to face animals, you had to face rustlers who would try to steal your sheep. So you had to be brave. And so that's why the shepherd would have weapons with him or her. They would not only have the shepherd's staff, but they would also have a rod or a club. And the club they could use and throw with pinpoint accuracy to knock a wolf upside the head or even a lion or whatever to try to get them to flee. And David, in his case, he had a shepherd's bag and he had shepherd's stones in it because he had a sling and he was good with the sling. So to be a shepherd, man, you had to be brave and you had to know how to fight. And I'm so glad that my Savior is brave and he sure know how to fight. He didn't beat up the bears, the lions, the coyotes, the cougars, and the wolf named Satan. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. And then uh, finally, Jesus gives his sheep abundant life and eternal life. Oh, he didn't have to do that. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So when you have a relationship with this shepherd, man, again, there's never a dull moment. 
Life is not boring. Life is truly abundant. He picks you up, turns you around, and he places your feet on solid ground. He makes you a new creation with new opportunities, with new vision, with new perspective, with new language coming out of your mouth, new friends. He changes everything about you, and he blesses you. He gives you an abundant life. I'm so thankful to be saved, to know the Lord. Because I know the Lord, he's allowed me to travel all over the world. Because I know the Lord, he's allowed me to meet all kinds of people who are great, whether they are poor or whether they are wealthy. Because of the Lord, I've been able to do and see great things. My life is abundant. He's blessed me. But not only that, he also gives you eternal life. Jesus says, I give them eternal life in John chapter 10, verse 28. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. So that means that when I die, I keep living. That when I die, I'm just separated from this body and my body, my soul goes to be with God because he saved my soul. Whereas before when I would have died without the shepherd in my life, my soul would have went to hell and rightfully so. But because Jesus died for me, he paid the price for me. He chose me. I didn't choose him. He chose me that I might choose him and bear fruit for him. He pulled me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He took me away from this shepherd, this devilish shepherd, and he put me into his sheepfold, put his mark on me, put his spirit in me. And then he gives me not only abundant life, but eternal life. And I'm here to mess with anybody in here right now. You come from a tradition or a slant when you read the Bible and you think you can lose your salvation. I'm here to mess with you just in my closing moments. Because if what Jesus gave me is not eternal, what was it? And when Jesus says, no one can pluck you out of my father's hand. No one can pluck you out of my hand. My father and I are one. So when I think about whose hand I'm in, and Jesus says, no one can pluck you, that means the devil can't take you out of this place of security. That means a demon can't take you out of this place of security. That means you can't even take yourself out of this place of security. You didn't work to get saved, so you can't work to lose your salvation. You're saved by grace. You're kept by grace. He did the work. But if you think that you got to perform to keep this thing, shame on you. Because every day you're living under a law that's self-imposed. Because if Jesus wasn't enough through his blood to save you the first time, how is he enough to save you the second time if you kind of keep losing your salvation and getting it back? Losing it and getting it back. That's crazy, man. Stop being a dumb sheep and accepting that he saved me and he keeps me. Who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Man, I'm kept. His blood, man, his resurrection, man, I'm kept. And as far as Jehovah is concerned, I'm already seated in heavenly places. I'm already glorified. I'm in the book of Revelation when all the saints are there around the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he ain't going to give me a seat and then take it back. When he gives me a gift, I keep the gift because it makes me glorify the one who gave it. He did all the work. So you be free and you just humble yourself and accept the gift of salvation that is eternal for your soul. And if you think that means green light to go out and do what you want to do, that's not the message of the eternal gift of salvation. No, again, it's about a relationship with the one who gets. Man, it hurts you when you break his heart. So with a God who cares for you like this, I joined Peter when he said in John 6, 68, he said, because uh, Jesus had preached a hard sermon. And his crowds got smaller. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you're going to go too? And Peter said, where, where else can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Can't go nowhere else. I'm going to stay with you. So this is why David could say, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. To say I shall not want means that I am satisfied. To say that I shall not want means that I shall not lack anything that I need. Because I have a good shepherd who knows what I have need of before I know I have need of it and before I even ask. So I shall not want, I shall not trip out. Because the Lord, I'm not my shepherd. 
The Lord is my shepherd, and because of all this he's done for me, I can chill. He meets my needs. If I need water, he gives it. If I need food, he gives it. If I need rest, if I need covering, if I need to be shaved of my wool, if I need to be rescued, if I need to be loved, he supplies all of my needs according to his glorious riches in heaven through Christ Jesus, the good shepherd. So because he's my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack, I shall not trip. Which means the reflexive meaning of I shall not want is I shall be content. It's 12.05. But I'm going to preach this. I shall be content. Because when I'm not content, I'm complaining. And when I'm complaining, it's an indictment against the good shepherd who knows how to take care of me because I don't know how to take care of myself. So if I don't get what I want right now, it doesn't mean that he's not going to provide it. It just may mean that it's not right now. So can I be content? Because Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, I, I, I've learned a secret. I've learned how to be content whether I'm up or whether I'm down. Whether I am abased or whether I'm abounding. Whether I get that prayer answered immediately or I got to wait on the Lord for a little while. I've learned to be content because when you're content, that means you trust in the Lord because you know he's going to supply all of your needs. And if you don't have it yet, it must not be a need. And he knows what you need. So wait on the Lord. So when you learn the secret of contentment, you can avoid high highs and low lows. You can just be stable because of who your shepherd is. That's why Paul said, now I can do all things through Christ. Paul, what's all things you can do? I can be up through Christ. I can be down through Christ. I can be abounding in blessings or I could be a base waiting on my blessings. I can do all things through Christ. I can do extreme. And so when the Lord is your shepherd, I shall not want, I shall be content because he is my shepherd. He's going to take care of me. So sheep, you just need to learn how to just chill and let the shepherd do his work in your life. Stop looking around at other sheep. Shepherd's doing something for that sheep. He's doing something for that sheep. Don't get jealous at the sheep. Thank God that he's doing something for those sheep because that just means he's in the same sheepfold where he's blessing that sheep and you next. So just hold on. He's going to anoint your head. Hold on. Stop. Get your head out of that person's oil. Put your head right here. He, gonna, he forgot about you. He knows your name. He's coming to you. Wait on the Lord. I shall not want, I shall not, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I am not my shepherd. The world is not my shepherd, my wife is not my shepherd, my husband is not my shepherd, my pastor is not my shepherd, the president is not my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. He got me, he got me, he got me, he got me. From early in the morning to late at night, the shepherd is faithful to care for a sheep. But the question is, is he your shepherd?